Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the start of the service, we are in week 15 of our sermon series, The Story of the Bible in 16 Verses. The last two weeks, we've seen Good Friday, where Jesus said, It is finished, that sins had been paid in full. And that payment for sin was guaranteed, as we saw last week, in the resurrection of Jesus. He left his tomb empty, and the he has risen guarantees that sins have been paid in full. But maybe, maybe we wonder, so how do those blessings, the blessings of forgiveness and salvation, how do they come to me? How do they come to you? How do we know that we have what God brought through Jesus on the cross and in the empty tomb? Paul answers that question for us today in Romans chapter 3. And he wants to have you leave here today with no doubt about your salvation and about where you're headed to an eternity with your Savior because you are freely justified. Doesn't the picture just bring you all kinds of warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Nothing like road construction during the summer months in Wisconsin. Doesn't it seem like as soon as the frost is out of the ground that up pop these orange cones and different barrels and signs that tell us that roads are under construction? So I have an unofficial psychological experiment for you this morning. This means you have to participate, okay? I'm only going to give you two choices, and if you're in between, just pick one or the other. Here are the two choices. If you find yourself in the middle of slow traffic because of road construction, are you the type of person that, A, is perfectly fine waiting it out and taking your time and making sure you get to your destination safely? Or are you, B, what is my other alternative? What other routes can I take to get around this road construction? Okay, I know that there might be people who are in between, but choose. Okay, who are my people? Yep, I'll just wait it out. I'm fine being in a long line of traffic for, a, okay, we got some of those. How many of you are like, uh, yeah, where's my other option? Where do I turn? Okay, we got a little more, a few more of those. I also fall into camp B. For some reason, as long as my car is moving, I don't care how much longer it takes. I just can't sit and wait for very long. Maybe it's just because I'm impatient. I don't know. But I was thinking about that this week because I, I, I sense that in the world in which we live today, there are always people who are looking for alternate routes. And I'm not talking about road construction, but routes to get to eternity, routes to make it to heaven, the next life, whatever you want to say. People don't want to hear God's directions. Instead, they come up with their own. And you know that. You know that around our world today, there are many religions who have many different thoughts about how it is that a person gets to heaven. And we might leave asking this thought, this, this thought might come to our minds that how do we know? How do we know that our way is the right way? How do we know that the path that we are on is the correct path? There's only one good answer to that. You can have confidence because it's not your path and it's not my path. It's God's path. It's the one he lays out in his word. And that takes away all doubt and worry when it's God who's the one who tells us. That's the message that the Apostle Paul is driving home in Romans chapter 3 today as he reminds us that 
We are freely justified by God. And as we see this today, it's spelled out in two ways. First of all, this free justification, this free declaration that we're not guilty is offered by God's grace. And then it comes to us, it's received by faith. Take a look at me again with just the first couple verses of our text. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Before I read these, maybe just a little bit of background. Right up to this point, so for all of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and the first half of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has made really one point. No one is righteous on their own. For two and a half chapters, Paul makes the case that we have no standing before God on our own. And then in verse 21, he flips the switch and he says, but there's good news. Listen to what he says, verse 21 and 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Those beautiful words, again, of the Apostle Paul center in that concept of righteousness, standing before God in a right manner. And again, the world in which we live thinks that there are many paths, many different roads to that end. Maybe we could ask ourselves why. Perhaps it's this simple. People are looking for directions how to get on the right road in all the wrong places. Maybe some wise person lived once upon a time and, and they have the path to enlightenment. Or, or maybe, maybe it's my own intellect and ingenuity that's going to give me the realization of how I get to eternal life. But interestingly enough, so many in our world today don't want to find those directions in the word of God. And that's where God clearly lays out what we need, what is necessary for us to have the righteousness that he wants us to have. God is the one who lays out the road, who has put the path for us to get to eternal life. And it's a righteousness apart from us, apart from our obedience to the law. You see, no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I think I can do on my own, it's never going to measure up to the righteousness that God wants. Perhaps you even notice this as God lays out this plan of how we get to heaven with him, that Paul, in speaking about it, says that it's God who made it known. Maybe we could say it this way, it's God who revealed it. God showed the path. He lights the way. And it's only God who knows the way to eternal life and no one else. The psalmist says it this way, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Even the Old Testament gives testimony to that righteousness that comes from God apart from the works of the law. If you've been here this summer for some of our sermon series, we've seen that over and over and over again. These Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah put everything on the Messiah and take it away from our own ability. We heard it again this morning in Genesis chapter 15 when we were told that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not that Abraham obeyed God, not that Abraham did just enough to make himself right with God, but that he believed God and it was credited as righteousness. 
Here's the amazing thing. Between you, me, Adam, all people, there is no difference. We all stand before God equally unrighteous, and we all stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus. You see, all of us need grace, and it's God who has given that grace in his Son, our Savior. Listen to how Paul drives the point home even further in the next two verses. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Those are fairly easy words to understand, but they certainly are not easy words to hear, are they? The Apostle Paul lays out in no uncertain terms that there is a universal need for a righteousness apart from ourselves. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. There is no ambiguity there. That's you. That's me. That's every single person who is in that same situation of falling short of the glory of God. And we don't have to even think too hard about it, do we? Don't we all know those moments in our lives? Those moments when we've been selfish, when we've been impatient, when our words and actions, we just want them to be rewound because we know they're not right? See, we understand what it means to fall short of the glory of God. And, and maybe our first solution is this. If I just try a little harder, maybe if I just focus a little bit more, then I can get a little closer to the righteousness that God wants. But that way, too, is a dead end. It leads us to nowhere. Oftentimes when this verse is taught, maybe particularly in confirmation class, back when you were in 7th and 8th grade, you might remember being taught that sin is like the middle of a canyon with God on one side and, and us on the other side, and sin separates us from God. That's what it means to fall short of the glory of God. There is nothing that you and I can do to bridge that gap. But God rescued us from that dead-end road. And God bridged the gap with two pieces of wood shaped in a cross. That's how you stand before God righteous. Not by your own righteousness, but the righteousness that was won by Jesus. You see, the universal need that we have, all have sinned, is replaced by a universal act of redemption or justification. All are made righteous in Jesus. All are justified freely, Paul says. And so we have this incredible reversal. Instead of a guilty verdict, God says that we are not guilty on the basis of what Christ has done. Jesus' substitution, his taking our place, means that we stand before God holy and blameless, all because of his grace. I know it's appealing. This idea that, that out in our world there's all kinds of different paths and people are all going to end up in the same place if they're only just sincere. But I think you probably know this. There's a common denominator in every way that people try and imagine they can make themselves right with God. That's completely different from the Bible's message of salvation. You know what it is, right? Something we have to do. Some way that we have to live, some service we have to perform, some donation we have to make, some prayers we have to offer. It's me. It's on me to make myself right with God in any plan of salvation outside of the Bible. 
Doesn't that highlight for us all the more how amazing God's plan is? That God simply says, it's already done? That Jesus already took your place? That Jesus already lived righteousness for you? What we hear in Romans chapter 3 echo the thoughts of Jesus from John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one path. Without any detours, it's Jesus who leads us to life eternal. It's got by God's grace and given to us, received by faith. Paul explains a little bit further in verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. See, everything that God did, this act of redemption that gave us righteousness, all began with a sacrifice. Jesus' willingness to give himself for our sins. Our text calls it a sacrifice of atonement. There's another one of those words that we hear sometimes and say, okay, what does that one mean again? This one might be the easiest because you can just look at the word. At one meant. Atonement means that God is now considers us at one with him through Jesus. There's some other fancy words that the original word in the Greek is translated propitiation, which the whole concept of those words is that somehow there was satisfaction. Somehow a payment was made that made things right again between two parties who were opposed. That's exactly what God has done through Jesus. He's made us right with him. The interesting thing about that original word, the word in the original Greek language, is it? it's the same word that is used when referring to a certain location on the Ark of the Covenant. You remember that box that was the symbol of God's presence for the people of Israel? And on the top of that box were cherubim with their wings stretched out over the cover of the ark and their eyes looking down. And that cover of the ark had a special name. It was called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. And it was there one time a year that the priests would go into the most holy place and sprinkle blood on that ark of the covenant in an act of redemption, in an act of bringing about forgiveness. There was blood that needed to be shed. And that's what God did through Jesus. That sacrifice of atonement came through the shedding of Jesus' blood. It's easy to see the wrath of God in the punishment of Jesus. I don't like to talk much about the wrath of God. It's not a pleasant topic to speak about, but it's real. And it's good for us to consider. See, the wrath of God is right because God can't simply look the other way when sin happens. He's a just God. He's a God who is offended by the sins that people commit. Every time we sin, it's as if we're shaking our fist in God's face and saying, I don't trust you, God. I don't think you have my best interests in mind. I don't think you love me as much as you say. And God is rightly offended by those things. Again, the scariness of God's wrath highlights for us how he could do what he did. Instead of punishing people, he sent his own son. Instead of eliminating sin in you and me, he put it on the shoulders of his son who went to the cross to die. That's what God offered you and me. 
He offered us a gift, a gift of his grace. And that grace comes to us through another gift, the gift that God gives us to believe his promises. Let's let Paul explain just a little bit further what he's talking about in the last verse and a half. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There's a lot in that verse and a half. A lot of those words that make our heads swim and what exactly does that mean? Let's put it this way. As the Apostle Paul speaks about this righteousness that is ours, he wants us to see God's grace and mercy. And so he makes this comment. Maybe this one jumped off the page at you as we read it. God left the sins beforehand unpunished. What does that mean? It certainly doesn't mean that there were never acts of judgment that God brought into this world. But in general, we could say this, from the very first sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all the way up to the time that Jesus came, God would have been just if he would have brought immediate and swift judgment on anyone who sinned. That was his right. But Paul says he didn't do that. He was patient. And in his patience, he left those sins unpunished as he waited. As he waited for the right time to bring his own son into this world, to suffer that punishment instead. Maybe the last verse, that last part of the verse is is the best focus for our sermon today. Paul just says, so that God could be at the same time just and the one who justifies. Let me explain that a little bit further. God's justice meant sin could not go unpunished. But God wanted to also justify. So in his grace and in his mercy, the punishment that should have been on us was placed on Jesus. That's where God's justice went. And so in the same breath, God could be called not only just, but the justifier because we stand before God declared not guilty in the suffering and death of Jesus and in his resurrection. Sin needed to be paid for. A payment needed to be made. We owed a debt. And Jesus paid it. And he paid it in full. And through Jesus, we stand before God freely justified, declared not guilty. All this God did for us, for you and for me, so that we can stand confident, knowing that eternal life is ours in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote, Very similar words in another letter, the letter to the Ephesians that explain this concept even further. He wrote this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Everything that we have is from God. And because it's in God's hands, we can rest secure. We can be confident because it isn't up to us. And therefore, I can't mess it up because it's all God's work. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, God graciously gives us righteousness through Jesus to declare us not guilty. That was God's plan, to bring righteousness to you and me through a Savior who took our place. Number two, faith in Jesus is the only way to receive the gifts of God. There is no other path. There's no other way to go. 
We need righteousness, and Jesus has given it. Jesus provided it. Finally, number three, God wants us to be absolutely sure that we are forgiven and heirs of heaven. That's the concept of being freely justified through Jesus. It's a gift of God, and it's secure and certain. We have it now, and we'll enjoy it in full when we are with him forever in heaven. Sometimes things happen in our world that, that just give a little picture of what forgiveness is all about. And this time of year, you might know, and maybe you don't, and it's okay, we have Little League World Series time. And so a couple of weeks ago, as teams were playing, vying to get into the Little League World Series, there was an event that happened that I think is a great picture of what forgiveness is all about. Maybe you saw this video. It was all over the place. If you didn't, bear with me for a minute or so to watch the video. Not to take the picture too far, but we're the pitcher, aren't we? We're the people that no matter how hard we try, we're going to slip, we're going to err, we're going to commit sins. And yet there's God, ready to wrap us in the warm embrace of his love and say, my son took your place. Through Jesus, we are forgiven. We're freely justified. We are heirs of a life with him forever in heaven. You can count on it. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.